Hello, thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance his kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. Last week, we started talking about the marriage model and uh, the, the, what God has. How many of you read the chapters that we encourage you to read? Now, how many of you read them with your spouse? How many of you did not want to read them with your spouse? Don't raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like, uh, you know, so what, what we're going to do these next few weeks, I just want to uh, let you know how, so we're going to go through the book of uh, Proverbs. We're going to look at chapters one through nine, just to let you know kind of where we're going, where we're navigating. What we're going to do, we're going to work backwards because how many of you know, sometimes the things that we talk about in the morning, that's your first exposure to hearing those passages. And, you know, usually after the fact, you're going back and reading those passages. We're going to work backwards for a few weeks. Okay. So what we're going to do, we're going to assign a reading assignment every week, and then when you show back up, then we're going to talk about it. Because hopefully, by that point, you have already been chewing on it, or you've already fought through it. Some of these passages that we're going to cover this morning might be difficult, and, you know, the spouses, you know, the elbow war, like, see? You know, you know what I'm talking about, where we're, we're, we're focusing on the Word, but we're going to read the Scripture, we're going to begin to chew on the Scripture, then we're going to digest it. This week, and then we're going to try by Monday and Tuesday to send up, send some follow-up questions to take it a little bit deeper for your families, for your relationship, that we can take it a little bit deeper. The whole goal of this next season and this next uh, series is to really be doers of the word, to apply the principles and make sure we're doing what it says. Amen? Amen. Remember we said if we hear the word and we don't do the word, it's a very little value, right? When we apply the word and we apply its principles, that's when we really, really see... Uh, those scriptures come to pass in our life. So last week we were focusing as a church briefly on the model of marriage. And we're going to continue to camp there a little bit on the model of marriage. And towards the tail end, we're going to look at the, the model for children, children and molding our children into what God has called them to be. How many of you as parents know it is work molding those children? Right? And if we do not, impl- if we do not apply principles or we don't work at molding... How many of you know you get what you get and don't throw a fit, right? You know, that mold really, really matters. So when we looked at last week, Ephesians 5, and it communicated the importance of wives submitting to your husbands and and husbands unconditionally loving their wives. How many of you couples discussed that a little bit more this week? I hope you did say, hey, what does it, you know, one of the questions, you know, anytime I counsel anyone or I ask somebody said, what, you know, as a man, I want to know what makes my wife feel loved. If you don't know the answer to that, you need to figure out the answer to that, right? Because you don't want to, you know, if let, let's say your lady is a flower lady, then guess what? You better get flowers. If your lady is a chocolate lady that likes chocolates and sweets, then guess what? Flowers don't matter. Chocolates matter. If they're both, because we know we got some ladies that are semi-high maintenance around here, right? I want both, baby. I want the flowers and the chocolate. But we have to know what makes your spouse feel loved and then also reverse the question wives what makes your husband feel respected you're like man i don't know like uh, you need to figure out what that is right uh, i know many of us men need those attaboys you know all you men know what that means right the attaboy like hey great job i appreciate you doing that those words of affirmation those words of encouragement uh we didn't know we needed cheerleaders in our life but wives we needed cheerleaders in our life you know, encouraging us and challenging us. And, you know, when we do something good, uh, uh, we want to hear about, we want to hear about the good things we're doing, not just the bad things we're doing. All the men said, amen. Right. We want to know when we're doing things right, not just when we're doing things wrong, but, you know, just really respecting and honoring your husband in the way that he demands, but offering love and respect in marriage meets the primary emotional needs of both the husband and the wife. So when the needs of each partners are not met, we know that that can often lead to a frustrating relationship, okay? Um, I'm telling you, what if, if you're just going to try to buy flowers and chocolate and fix everything just by bringing a gift and you're, you're not meeting these emotional needs, it don't matter what you buy, man. Right? Doesn't matter. You guys still love me? Practice what you preach, Pastor, right? I got to go get something. Because my wife saw the video that I showed on Sunday. So even though she's got a pretty good gift, right? 
It's not going to be, it's not going to be. An, uh, moving right along. All right, so in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, this chapter continues to give guidance on marriage and relationships. It gives guidance to the married couples, also additional guidance for single, singles and widows. Okay, so we're going to look through this passage and say, what does the scripture say? What guidance does it give us? We don't want to just say, well, I think this would be a good idea. We want to make our decisions and our responses uh, to marriage or marriage conflict or, you know, even, even if, now, I, I, I don't like the word divorce. I don't think it should be in the vocabulary according to God standard it's not an option like really I think that that was God's heart when we're talking about divorce but we want to understand what is justifiable for divorce is there anything justifiable is it just because well he's just being mean to me and I want out is is that enough is that valid enough to justify divorce as far as God's model of what he expects so we're going to look at some passages this morning we're going to look at scripture because we want the Bible to set the framework for what we support what we believe and how we respond now it's good to know before you get there what the Bible says because most of the time, in the heat of the moment, when you're frustrated, when you're mad, you're not going to be like, oh, let me see what the Bible says. Now, if you're using it as a weapon against your spouse, you might pull out the Bible and say, this is what the Bible says. But ideally, it's to have it in our heart where we already know God's expectation before we get there. Because what that does, it helps us navigate our responses. It helps us navigate what is acceptable or what's not acceptable or what I'm going to tolerate or what I'm not going to tolerate. Okay, so this morning, um, when we talk about the model, so for a family to be successful, it is important to have the right model. Now, I have these right here, and, and I did test them uh, to, to make sure you can see what these are, but how many of you, what is this shape? A bear, right? So every time I use this model in a pattern, what's going to happen? I should get a bear, right? All right, let's try it again. We are doing so good, man. Give yourself a, how about this one? A boot. Slash sock. It could be a sock. I've never seen a sock with a little cutout, but that's fine. Maybe you're too far away. How about one more right here? What is this? All right. So how many of you know that this model will, like, if I'm cutting out cookies, what's going to happen? Snowman. 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 Boot. 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 Bear. 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 We have to understand that the model matters. Because the model that is present is going to directly affect the results of what I'm getting. If the marriage model is broken, you know, I, and how many of you know I can never create a bear that looks this good without the model? So anytime there's a brokenness in the model, let's say there is a divorce or, you know, you got kids from second marriages and, you know, stepkids and stepmoms and stepdads. It is not ideal. I'm just going to tell you that. It is difficult. It is challenging. It is hard. And we're, and we're kind of stuck trying to salvage the pieces together. But we have to realize that was never God's heart and that was never God's plan. And when we look at scripture, you know, there's this passage we're going to look at this morning. It actually says it's because of the hardness of your hearts that Moses even allowed divorce being an option. It was because your selfish, hard heart that you wanted out and you would not yield and you wouldn't give and, you know... Because of the hardness of your hearts. And that passage actually goes on to say, it was not like this in the beginning. That was not God's original model. But I know in the church and in the world today, we have a lot of fractured models, right? So we have to get back to having some type of model or hoping that God will give us grace or send people to meet the needs that our kids need, that we need. And we want to make sure that we are creating a good model for our kiddos to springboard on. Now, I hope that, you know, I, my heart is always that my kids do not make the same mistakes I made. Now, with that, adults, I know that it's difficult because we do not like to be vulnerable. We don't like to share our weaknesses. We don't like to, to share our big uh-ohs, your dignity, your pride, whatever's getting in the way. But let me tell you what, what if being vulnerable to your children and showing them and teaching them where you have messed up what if it would prevent them from falling in the same hole in the same rut that you did? Well, I'll tell you what, I care most of the time more about my kids than I do myself. And if I can caution them and I can warn them and I can teach them. Now, when they look at my life, what they're going to see this outline as, there's going to be a few fractures. But I believe as the people of God, God reinforces those fractures. He reinforces those rough areas and he puts back together what was broken. 
So this morning, before we dig any deeper, I want to tell you, I don't care where you're at, if you're divorced, if you're, if you're single, if you're not living right, it doesn't matter. God can take all of the pieces of wherever anybody is at and make it work back together for his good. Now, you can't have the wrong model, right? So we need to know, what in the world does this model look like? I'm so glad you asked, because we're going to look at some scripture this morning. But I know that God wants to lead us in, in, in being a church full of um, the mo- that the model of marriage is honoring God. It's, uh, it's set up in a way that is God-pleasing and biblical. Um, before I jump into this, I just want to tell you, culture is at a place of all acceptance. It doesn't matter. Love who you love. I'm not going to preach on that because that's a whole other thing, but that's what it is. Well, you can't control who you love, but that is like saying, I can't control that I sin. Does it make it right? Still wrong every single time. Now, as Christians, as people that are blood-bought and blood-washed, I hope that we are looking more like Jesus and less like the world. Because it says the old man has to die and the new man is born again. There has to be a taking of our hard, stony heart. And it says God takes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. And it should completely change the DNA of who we were. Now, we can't say who we were because God is calling us to who we are. But God will work a miracle in our life because he will take these fragmented, these broken pieces, and he will just begin to miraculously put these things back together. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 7. Now, chapter 6, Now I don't know if you like to read in context, chapter 6 is completely focused and it's giving attention to fleeing sexual immorality. So it's leading from that chapter right into the problem with sexual relations of of having intimacy outside the model of marriage, and he begins to just knock fire. So if you're uncomfortable, just sit on your hands and try not to like make any awkward faces because it's going to be some hard content this morning, but I want you to know, guess what? We are are all adults, or if you're in this room, it's probably a good idea that you hear what I'm going to say this morning because I would rather know what God expects earlier rather than when it was too late. Because sometimes we don't know, we don't realize what we're doing. And when we make those choices and not knowing what God's word has said, sometimes it'll leave us making bad decisions because we just don't know what God expects. Okay, so when we jump into that 1 Corinthians 7, it starts with the problem. It says, since um, you are having a problem with sexual relations happening between men and women, it it, it, it gives a solution to the problem. To solve the problem of sexual immorality happening among the people, it is right... And good for a man to have his own wife and for a woman to have her own husband. Notice that word own wife and own husband. Can everybody go like this? Own. That's not plural, right? That is one. That is God's acceptable model that you should have your own wife and you should have your own husband. It should, it should, it should be exclusive. That's what God's saying. But he talks about, you know, that there was this, this lack of self-control. There was immorality. And he's, so God's, do we, I said this last week, God's idea was the marriage model. This is not a bad thing. This is not a, a, a dirty thing. This is God's plan to work in areas because sometimes we do have needs. Sometimes we have a lack of self-control. But God never tolerates sin. Right? How many of you ever heard? Well, if you're sinning. We've had this, right? It's better to get married. Because in the marriage bed, things are acceptable that should never be acceptable outside of the marriage bed. Right? Under the constitution of marriage, there is a standard. And the constitution of those who are single or unmarried, there's also a standard. All right? It says, each of you should fulfill his or her marital duty. I don't know how many women like that word duty, but... Take it or leave it. I'm just going to give you the words that it says. You know, Becky and I were really looking into the Greek and Hebrew, and she is doing a way better job as far as looking at the Greek and Hebrew and what these words mean. And there is a lot of richness understanding what God intended, what God said. Um, but I'm just going to believe that the Spirit of God this morning is going to give you what you need as we look at these passages and we read the Scripture and we say, this is what the Scripture says. And I pray that he'll illuminate or he'll show you what you need. And If it's something you don't need or you just get distracted by, that it would just be thrown out. Amen? Um, So he gives guidance to the marriage model. So 
the question that, that comes up very quickly in that verse 5 is the question, should there ever be a time to deprive each other of intimacy in marriage? Well, see, see, honey, I was telling you about that. Like, okay, what does the Bible say? Is there guidance on that? A lot of us, you know, like, we'll, we'll just, we can't justify it. We're just saying, but here's what it actually says, because that's a great question. In verse 5, it says, Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, there's a few words in there. How many of you know mutual consent? That doesn't mean just your idea. That means you are both mutually agreeing to the terms. But what is the guidance? It says, while you are praying, as you are seeking the Lord for guidance. But then it goes back to the same issue. Because of your lack of self-control, because of the temptation of the devil, it is not good. You're tracking with me. I'm going to try to filter as much as I can. And you're just going to have to fill in the blanks. I'm to look in the room see like what the young, I see a young, which I think it'll fly over his head. He'll be okay. Uh, uh, but... Everybody knows, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I don't got to explain it. Um, but, but the issue was the sexual morality, and this was God's plan under the constitution of marriage. You can't say, well, I got, I got needs. I'm just, you know, I don't know what to do. And prior to marriage, it's a no-go. It's a no-fly zone. It's off limits. So there has to be a measure of what? Self-control. There has to be a measure of grace. There has to be, you know, safeguards. There has to be things in place because God has built man this way and God has built women this way. For intimacy, but Paul in this chapter, he also advocates of if your gift is to remain single, remain single. If your gift from God is to be married, then be married, right? It gives us guidance in all of these things. Um, he shows us, you know, what to do, what not to do. So let's move to the single side just for a moment. Paul is advocating of being single, if that is your gift, uh, that God has given you. Not everyone is called to be single, but not everybody is called to be married, and we have to realize, is that a grace gift that God has given you to remain single but yet to remain pure for a lifetime? Now, in this passage, the whole concern was that you would be undivided in your focus towards God. That, that's, you know, like in, in your singleness, if you can remain undivided and fully focused on God during that singleness season or that singleness call for a lifetime, that is the main goal. Because it talks about in, in that passage that when a husband marries a wife or a wife marries a husband, now the focus and the attention is divided because there is concern and care for your spouse. Right? And it's divided. You know, he also says in that passage, we should also live... As if we were single. Now, I'm like, Lord, I don't know about that. I'm going to pray about that. I don't know what that balance looks like. Because I know in my singleness, I wasn't thinking about wives or kids or just taking care of myself. But he says we should live in a way that is undivided. In, the, in verses 31 through 38. So this is the warning to, to those who are single. How many of you know you should know a lot when you're single so you know what you're getting into when you get married? How many of you would, would contest as, as being married that marriage life is harder than you thought? That's it? Come on. Everybody's lying. We're going to have to talk about lying in church. Because it was way harder than I thought. I just saw a backhand. Like, come on. It's hard because of you. Right? That's what you're seeing. Uh, marriage is hard. Doing it God's way and getting along and being selfish and being selfless and sacrificial and, and giving and giving and giving for a lifetime. It's hard. Right? But that's what God wanted us to do, to lay our lives down, husbands. Right? Lay our lives down. Well, I thought there was something in it for me. You were tricked. Right? You didn't, you didn't read what the Bible said your responsibility was. It says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And he laid his life down for the church. Right? It's more about serving your spouse than you being served. Right? That's the way it works. Sorry. But it says to the singles, those who are married will face many troubles in this life. And Paul beckons and he says, I desire to spare you singles of this. Being married is a blessing, but it also requires work. You got to know that. Everybody's so quick to get married and they're like, row, row. Being married is not like dating. That's the only way I know. To, it's just different. How many of you know it was easy to date your spouse and then you get married and it's like, what happened? It's like the candle went out. <laughs> Gone. It's like, 
You have to keep that thing alive. You have to keep, you know, you, I'm not the only one. I know you, you know, serious. Like, it's just all of a sudden, all the work and all the requirements, like, oh, like, man, Lord, I didn't realize I was giving my life. But for those who are single, undivided, unhindered focus. Let me, if you're single and you're in this room, can I tell you, you are at the most exciting moment of your life. The potential to do whatever you want to do without bills up to your throat and kids and a wife you got to deal with every day. Like, I love you, baby. Uh, it's, you're free. You can do whatever you want. Do you realize when you have a boyfriend, you are not obligated to that boyfriend like you are your spouse? I'm going to go on a mission trip. Well, baby, uh, he don't matter. You're not married. Don't let your decisions be decided by someone you're not married to. You may not even stay with them. You're in relationships in here. I'm sorry. You're like, oh, awkward, <laughs> right? You know, I've always said, if you can't see yourself marrying the person pretty early on, don't waste time with them, right? Sometimes, uh, <laughs> I don't want to look up because I know these singles are looking at me. Uh, <laughs> but singles have the best position to live a life as unto the Lord undivided. I wish I was a little more intentional with my singleness. Um, and wasn't so quick to rush into a relationship or feel like relationship was the end game of what God had or that that was my plan. I missed probably a few years of really just undivided attention to the Lord because of relationships. Now, I'm not saying God didn't call me to be married. God has called me to be married. and He has blessed me with a wonderful wife and a wonderful family and, a, and, and kids and all that dynamic. But there was the young and dumb years where I was focused on things that I ought not be focused on and it wasted valuable time. I was divided, you know, and uh, definitely not, not focused on the things that I needed to be focused on. And I, I believe many of us maybe get caught up in that. Um, I'm going to say this because my daughter's not in here. So uh, took my took my daughter to a Valentine's dance, and while I'm dancing with her, all, I don't know why in that moment she's like, "Hey, this boy's been sending me a love note." <laughs> you know the check, yes or no? I said, "Tell him your daddy said no." <laughs> and uh, I, I want us to tread lightly in, in singleness, but also in, in understanding that marriage is God's plan. Fathers, it is hard to let your daughters go, and to trust that any young boy, because that's how we see him. We don't even see him as a young man. We're like, they're still boys. They don't know. Uh, that any young man would be good enough for your, for your daughters. But you have to realize that God has a plan for each of your daughters. We pray for the right one. We pray for not the wrong ones to not entertain any of that. Uh, I told my daughter, hey, you can't date till you graduate from high school. Well, I'm going to wait till college. I was like, that's even a better plan if you want to do that. <laughs> but if you're not at the age that you can get married, don't even entertain it. Got me, Levi? <laughs> Samuel, where you at, big boy? He's ducking and die. Who else? Who, else? Who, 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 do we, who do we have in here that's in junior high and high school? Raise your hand big and proud. You know what? Stand up. Junior high and high school. Come on. Hey, you know what? Stand up on the chair, on the top of the chair. Come on. Big and bold. Yep, all the way up. Top ropes. No? He says, man, I'm not doing it. Hey, I'm going to tell, okay, sit back down. I'm going to tell you right now, a relationship is not God's best for your life in this moment of your life. If you're not hearing it from your present, your parents hear it from me, okay, that it is not God's best for you to be entertaining or focusing on relationship. God has so much better plans for you than any relationship has to offer in this season of your life. Man, y'all parents are like, yes, I've been trying. Come on, pastor, keep it coming. All right. Okay, so we know as married, we have expectations. As singles, we have expectation. What about to the unmarried or the widows? Because a lot of times we're like, what do we do? How do we navigate that? There are people in the church that go through those things, and they're hard. And we, sometimes we feel obligated or we feel stuck or we feel like, what is God's plan in that? Now, he says, he commissions. You know, Paul is an advocate of staying single. He does not want that hindered, like, you know, it's a lifetime of obligation. How many of you know the marriage vows say what? Till death do us part. Okay? I'm going to show you in just a minute that is biblical. But it says to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good to remain single and unmarried unless you cannot control yourself. 
It all goes back to that lack of self-control and honoring God uh, to, to being uh, morally right. Okay, that is a big thing to God. So I want to. Um, <clears throat> so it is. It is better for you to remarry than it is to burn with passion. You have to understand that it is better to remarry or to be married than to burn with passion. I'm not going to explain exactly what that is. If you know what that is and you got it, you got it. If you're like, what does that mean? Talk to your mom and dad when you get home. And that'll probably be a good follow-up question. All right. So I'm going to read this to you, 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 17. It says, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer... Um, and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer, uh, he is willing and is willing to live with her, he, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through the wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Verse 15, but if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. Let me pause there just for a moment. The accountability to the marriage union is based on the believer. Because the believer should know better. They should be people of God. They should be upholding God's standard. All right? So it says, um, uh, the brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live at peace. Verse 16. Uh, however, you do not know, wife, whether by, by, by your will, to you, if you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. So at the end of it, be a Christian. Hold godly values. Um, <laughs> there's just no out according to God's standard. It's, it's, it's a very small uh, way to get out. We're going to look at that real quick. So in Matthew 19, 3 through 9, um, they were talking to Jesus and it says, is it lawful? And this is the passage I was quoting a second ago. It says, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for, for any and every reason? And he responds and says, haven't you read, he replies, that at the beginning, the creator made them. So look at, we're talking about, we're talking about the model, right? In the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united with his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. They keep going, they keep prodding. They said, why then, uh, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replies, how many of you know when Jesus says something, you got to pay attention to it? So this was his response. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. It wasn't God's plan. It wasn't, you know, Moses saying, I agree with this, but because of the hardness of your hearts, how many of you know our hearts are the issue? My heart is the issue. How many of you know also your heart is the only heart that you can control? A lot of people get super frustrated. Well, if my husband, man, I've, I've sat down with enough couples, the ones that are focusing on themselves, it's going to be okay. The ones that are focusing on the spouse of what they're doing or not doing or what they need to change, I think it's like that scripture where it says, you know, you're trying to get a speck of sawdust out of your spouse's eye when the whole time you got a plank in your eye. I mean, that's pretty foolish, right? The only variable that we can change is our own hearts. But he says, it's because the hardness of your hearts that he permitted it. It says, but this was not the way in the beginning. It changed because mankind got evil and sinful and their hearts got hard and they got separated from God. And, um, but it says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, you guys ready? Except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. You can look all over scripture. That's the only one that justifies a reason for it. Now, is there, a, is there an abundance of forgiveness even if that happens? I believe that there is. So just don't, you know, I, I would challenge you as a Christian because if I can, if I can forgive one thing, I can forgive everything. I, God has given me the grace to do that. It doesn't matter. But it's, it's really up to you. Right? If my heart is torn turned towards my spouse and I love her and I care about her, like... You know, I've already forgiven a whole lot of stuff. How many of you know that's to be true? If you've been, if you've been married a few years, you've, you've had the privilege and the opportunity to forgive 
a multitude of sin. But what does it say? Love covers that multitude of sin. Now, this justifies it. Now, me and Becky were talking, I was like, man, like, but is there any other condition that would, uh, you know, now I'm talking about divorce, like legally separating. Now, I think there are times where we just separate, but that doesn't mean that we break a marriage union would kind of be my, my guidance on that. You know, if you're in an unsafe situation, you know, if you feel like, hey, like, I, you know, you need to deal with your stuff. I'm going to give you some space. Heard all, I've seen all this, heard all this, right? That, you know, we need to be aware. But I think as married couples, we need to be at the place where, hey, there is nothing you can do or will do that I'm going to tap out of this relationship. Right? But the scripture instructs that the only exception, according to scripture, um, is sexual immorality. And by this, the woman commits adultery. Um, the reason being is because she is bound to her husband and the two have become one is why that violation happens. Once one is one, can't add more to that, right? This doesn't please God. Um, it's a hard passage. And I think a lot of times I hear a lot of justification even in the church. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna divorce because he just ain't loving me right. Come again? He ain't loving you right. Well, are you respecting him right? Well, I mean, it goes right back. But that's not a, that's not a reason. You got to count. You got to think through these things before you get married. Don't just rush into marriage. I tell young people all the time, hey, is that what God is leading you to do? Is that what you're going to do? Because God sees this is forever, right? We see that young, innocent. How many of you, <laughs> how many of you are, which you've, you've had to probably grow into that, but that young love that led you into getting married. And then it says those honeymoon years die out, and you're like, oh, my Lord, what did I do? And that's when you really have to grow in loving each other and continue laying down your life and doing those things that make that marriage work. Um, can I challenge you married couples to make a decision right now to, say there, to, to have a heart to say, there is nothing that you can do that I would not be willing to forgive and allow God to work that grace in your life? Because you might be okay today. But you might not be okay next week. So choosing to forgive before the offense happens, and that doesn't mean it's not going to hurt. That's not, that doesn't mean it's not going to fracture you and break parts of you that God's going to have to heal and there's going to have to be restoration through those things. But that willingness to not give up. Be vulnerable, husbands. Be honest, husbands. Be vulnerable, wives. Be, be honest, wives, with each other because that's what really uh, builds that unity. How many of you know sometimes when we, when we get married, we bring in baggage that we didn't think was going to affect the marriage? How many of you know the only way to get rid of that suitcase is to open it and to begin to pull the junk out of it and get rid of it and dispose of it, and then you can get rid of the suitcase? I know there's some in the room that don't want to open that suitcase. They don't want to expose it. But it says that we can actually confess our sins to one another that we might receive healing. And, you know, God has taken me on this uh, growing me to where I should be able to confide in my spouse like I don't with maybe any of y'all. Right? She's my wife. I'm her husband. There should be some vulnerability, some openness. And, you know, if she really loves me, she won't expose me. Got to trust that, right? Be, care be careful with uh, wives with what you do with the vulnerable things that your husband shares with you. Because we're, we're, pr we're pretty hard on broken trust. We can't trust. We probably will never share again. But encourage. Uh, wives and husbands, pray for each other, please. Right? I mean, I know we're praying for ourselves to change, but we got to pray for our spouses. We got to pray for our marriage. Pray for all those things. All right. Sorry, I'm camping there a little bit. I think it's important. First uh, Peter three seven. Back to the husbands. Your wives can take a break just for a minute. It says, "In the same way, be considered as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect, as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers." Pastor, you saying the way I treat my life, my wife is going to directly affect my prayers to God? That's what that says. Um, me and Becky were talking about the weaker vessel. And uh, it does, it's not saying, women, you are weak. That's not what it's saying. But it says, you know, we, we've had some, we, we have a ton of coffee mugs. 
How many of you have ever broke the handle off of a coffee mug? Right? Not in purpose. Maybe you hit it, you, you, you bumped it or whatever, but you have to be careful with fragile things. And most of the time I, when I break it, you know what I was doing? I wasn't being as careful as I needed to be, but if I would have known that it was that fragile and it could break, guess what? <laughs> I would have set it down a lot differently. We have to realize that, husbands, with our wives, that they are fragile, that we want to protect. Wrap them in bubble wrap. You are their bubble wrap around them. Keeping them safe, protecting them, laying down your life. This is just the way God built it. Okay? I'll leave you with that. But man of God, if you're not treating your wife kindly, it can hinder your prayers. You need to remember that she's God's daughter. And he takes it very, very personally offensive. That might be a good nudge moment. Maybe, maybe not. You have to deal with that later. You nudged me in church and I took it again. All right. All right. What about the loss of a husband or the loss of a wife? First Corinthians 7, 39, 39 and 40, it says, a woman is bound to her husband as long as she lives. But if, her, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone else she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. Okay. In my judgment, she is happier, though, if she stays as she is. That re- remain single? You're back to that single free moment? You know, and if it's later down the road, you got more freedom and probably more money than you've ever had. I wish I had the money when I was single that I have now. It just doesn't always work that way, right? So I think before we jump right back in marriage, we say, Lord, what does this next season look like for me? But don't feel like you can't get remarried. You know, I remember telling Becky, I said, if I died, would you marry somebody else? Immature, stupid question, right? Like, <laughs> well, only me, baby. Like, you know, nobody, you can't love nobody like me. And, but biblically, you're off the hook, brother. You're, you're off the hook, woman of God, that, you know, if you lose your husband, that God releases you to remarry. But the criteria of that is to marry another believer. Uh, man, there is a challenge. with The Bible talks about it being unequally yoked. When you marry someone who is an unbeliever in hopes that, oh, I'm going to, uh, you know, uh, the, the girls used to call it galvation. Well, I'm going to lead that man to the Lord. I'll just be around him and I'll, he'll change when I get close to him. God's grace does work in that, but sometimes that does not happen. And it is challenging and it is hard and it is difficult. And you, you, are, you are caught in this struggle because you, you can be one, you know, emotionally, you can be one uh, physically, but you cannot be one spiritually. Because my spirit is the spirit of God. Their spirit is not a regenerated spirit, does not have the spirit of God in them and We have to realize that the spirit of God inside of us changes everything. Our actions, our motives, our values. You know, we should change when we become Christians and the spirit of God comes inside of us. He's going to start cleaning house. He's going to change those things. But the criteria is that they must belong to the Lord, but she is happier um, if, if she remains single. Now, you know this, is, this applies to men also just because the, 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 it uses she or her. Like It's interchangeably. You got that, men? Right? It's, you're free. But I think God just says, do what's in your heart. There's no wrong. There's no right. Um, but we have to understand the mold matters. God cares about what you're modeling. Why does it matter? Why does it matter what we model? Because our goal is not just to model a, a Christian model, but we also want to mold our children in the next generation. Shifting gears just a little bit here. We want to also mold what our expectation is. Now, if I give my kids this pattern, how many of you know it's a lot easier to make this pattern? I said, well, just kind of make a bear thing. Man, it's going to be like, what is that when you're done with it? Because the model is broken. But our lives should represent the model so that we can mold our children in a way that that honors God and a way that is uh, recreatable in their life. So there's four seasons that every family unit goes through. Singleness, married, children, an empty nest is, is the four categories that, that uh, families go to. Samuel, can you pull up that slide, bud? Singleness, marriage, children, and empty nest. Okay? So those, those are, and no, we're, none, of these, none of these areas are bad areas. They are just the cycle of life. And we're going to, as we kind of unpack the rest of this chapter and we continue to go through this, we're going to see how each of those parts are super, super valuable. 
Um, but in every, in every season, each individual is responsible for contributing and making the family unit th- thrive. It doesn't matter where you're at in that, you're to contribute to the family unit. You know, uh, my in-laws and, and my mom and dad, you know, which my mom and dad start all over with kiddos, but they still got kids in the home. But like uh, my in-laws, you know, they're at that empty nest stage, but you know how much they are blessing and impacting our children as their grandchildren? Now, how many, how many grandparents do we have in the room? They, they say that's the best ever whenever you get there because you can send them home when you want. <laughs> but you need to help keep contributing into their life. God has deposited you. He has built this whole family. The family unit is bigger than just a husband and a wife. It's children. It's singles. It's great-grandchildren. And when we're all investing in this family unit, this is what creates legacy. This is what creates multiplication. This is what causes our Christian lineage to go further than we ever thought. You know, I'm a fourth-generation Christian. So my great-great-grandpa... Further than that, I have no clue. But I know at least four generations chose to serve the Lord. And I believe that I'm here because of that. I'm receiving blessings in my life because of my great-great-grandparents that served the Lord. Right? We see those things happening. So every, every season, every moment, every generation is to contribute. Um, now, wisdom and understanding. So we're going to look... Um, these next few weeks, we're going to go through Proverbs 1 through 9. I'm going to try to go quickly through some of this. Um, so we're going to work through this. We're going to look at these. Now, how many of you know wisdom and understanding are beneficial to dads, moms, children, teens, young adults, even grandmas and grandpas in the room? Never think that you have arrived with all wisdom and all knowledge. Wisdom and understanding is something that we pursue for a lifetime. But I want us to uh, reiterate just for a moment um, fathers, there is an obligation for you to train and instill Christian principles in the lives of your children. Great-grandfathers, it is still your responsibility to instill Christian values and principles in your great-grandchildren's lives. Now, I know there's a lot of hands-off, and this is just what I've seen. Like, my mom and my in-laws, they don't discipline my kids. They're real careful to, like, tell us what to do. But we need our great-grandparents and spiritual fathers continually investing spiritually in the lives of our children. That is something you don't shrink back from, but you have to help us with it because they need it from every single angle because there's wisdom that you have that we don't have and you definitely have wisdom that they don't have. So helping teaching and and, and training and all of those things. Let's look really quick, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. So we know that the commission is first and foremost to to the parents and and he establishes a a Christian model, but uh, starting in that chapter 6 of Ephesians, says, children... Children, where are you at? Say, here I am. Where are you at? You falling asleep? Wake up. Children, here I am. It says, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Okay, so when it says obey your parents, do you realize it doesn't matter if you think your parents are right or wrong? It says obey your parents. You know, you won't get this till you are parents and you get so frustrated. Why don't you listen to me? Well, maybe it's a seed you're you sowed and you're reaping it in your life because you didn't listen to your parents either, right? I've heard that what, what, you, what you do in moderation, your kids will do in excess, right? But I believe that, you know, we have to honor our father and our mother. What else does it, that does it mean? Um, I really believe you need to be obedient to your mother and father because if you can't be obedient to your parents, you will never be obedient to God. You just won't. Like, you're like, well, I don't, I don't think you're right. You're going to tell God that? When God tells you to do something you don't agree with, you're going to question that? Now, I tell you, most parents in this room, they are for you, not against you. The punishment and the discipline and the correction in your life probably is equal to your dumb decisions. That's what I learned. Anytime that, you know, fire fury was on my life, it was because of bad decisions I was making. And my parents were trying to rescue me from dumb decisions. Man, the good seasons were good. We're proud of you. You're doing good. And then the stupid season kicked in. I'm just going to tell you, when I was young, I mean, young and dumb years, you've heard me talk about it, man, where my parents were like, man, I'm probably, they're probably saying, man, I don't know about it. There's hope for this guy. But God had a plan using my parents and they grew, I grew, and we were all stressed out. <laughs> That's how that works. 
I was mad. They were mad, and we didn't get much uh, accomplished for a, few, for a little while. But uh, um, God was faithful. Our, my parents were faithful. So it says, honor your mother and father. It goes on to continually say, for this is the first commandment with promise, so that it may go well with you that you may enjoy long life on the earth. That's a great promise. Well, what do I get about being, what do I get for being obedient to my parents? Well, you get long life. What if you're disobedient? <laughs> Could be it. I don't know. It says that you're insured long life when you're being obedient to your parents. Flip the other side of the coin and, right? So honor your mother and father. It says that it may go well with you, that we can really receive the promises that God has given us. Um, Verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Did, did it say wives here or it said fathers? I want to cam on that just for a minute. Man, I'm trying to get through this. Man, I'm looking at the clock. They're going to show up for his next service. All right. It says, it says, fathers, do not exasperate. So that means tease or infuriate or make excessively frustrated. Every father picks on their kid. I can vouch for that. Do not do it excessively where you frustrate and you break their spirit. Because your responsibility, fathers, is to train them in the instruction and training of the Lord. So the father's responsibility is to train and instruct. Fathers in the room, can you say train? train. Can you say instruct? Right. Woman of God, can you point at your husband? Say train, train. and instruct. Husbands, you got what it takes. You're like, I don't know what to do with that. God has to give you the grace because he's called you to do it. He wouldn't call you to do something that you uh, can't do. So fathers, you don't need to know everything to the training and instructing, but you do need to know where to find that. Do you know where you find all the guidance? The Bible, right? If you don't know what to do, find a scripture, quote the scripture, say, hey, this is what God says, and you'll never be wrong. If you're just guessing how to navigate, you're going to mess it up. Well, I think, don't think. Here's what the scripture says, and we, we base our principles and our instruction based on what the Bible says. And, and the book of Proverbs will definitely do that. Uh, I'm not going to read Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, just for the sake of time. But if we look at the three areas that Proverbs will help with, it will help us gain wisdom. It will help us receive instruction. It will also help in giving us prudence okay, in our lives. It talks about the fear of the Lord. And, and the, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, I'm not going to camp out too much here because I'm giving you homework to go home and read Proverbs 1 and 2, okay? But we're going to talk about it. We're going to come back next week, and we're going to say, how does that apply to every facet of the family unit when we talk about molding our children, molding the next generation, investing in our singles? Um, But we're going to try, like I said, over these next few weeks to change how we are presenting the Scripture. You're going to read first. How many of you ever showed up for a test that you didn't do the reading before you showed up for the test and it reflected uh, you didn't read the content? I want to challenge you. You're going to be okay if you don't read it, but you're going to get a whole lot more out of it if you read it before you show up. So if you read it before you show up and then we talk about it, we instruct, we give teaching and we show you how to do it, then the follow through and getting the word inside of you, it should stick. So we have a plan, three focus point objectives that we're going to try to do for the next few weeks. We're going to instruct you. So we're going to tell you, and you're going to read what the Word asks you to do. Now, I, um, I was thinking about this, and this is what God showed me. With my son, I could say, go clean your room. He walks to his room, and he just moves a few things around and walks out. I don't know. I come out, what are you doing? Go clean your room. Kicks a few more things around. And then I realize he doesn't understand what go clean your room means. So in the teaching element, I said, hey, let me show you how to clean your room. So I come alongside them and say, okay, hey, get the shoes. The shoes go right here. And hey, you see those hanger things? They hang your shirts, right? <laughs> Amazing. That little rack, that's where they go. So there is, a, there, is a, there is a training, which is communicating what the expectation is. But then there's a teaching. And I hope the, in, these, in Sunday mornings, you are getting a lot of practical application, knowing how to do it, knowing what to do. And then, so there is, there is a teaching, there is a teaching, and then there is a training, and then there is the follow-through that is completely up to you. What are you going to do once you know what you're supposed to do? Well, now you've got two options. You're going to be obedient or you're going to be disobedient. And once we have shown you how to clean your room, guess what? Now when I say go clean your room, you know how to clean your room. There's no excuse. And I learned that by asking my son. I said, son, 
sometimes when we ask you to do things, do you under do you know what we're asking you to do? Well, Dad, sometimes no. So we as a church want to commit time to teaching you the precepts of what God expects and how to do it. When I say love your wife, I'm not just like, well, just love. I don't know how to love, but just love. Like laying down your life. Get those flowers. Get that chocolate. Whatever it takes, show your love. Don't just say I love you. And then mutually respect doing these things, practicing these things. And then we know what to do. Can you guys stand up with us and wrap up? So we're going to instruct. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna tell you what to do according to Scripture. Proverbs 6.20 says, don't forget your father's instructions. And then we're going to teach. We're going to show you and help you learn how to do it, which I really believe is, there's a passage in the Proverbs that says, do not forsake your mother's teaching. How can you forsake something you haven't been taught to do? I believe you've been taught to do it. You know how to do it. So you don't forsake those things that your mother has taught you. You don't, you, you don't forsake your father's teaching or your mother's instruction, but you do those things. Um, and then it's up to you. It says, he who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the one who, who establishes their house on the rock. When the rain comes and the storm blows, it will stand firm because we have stood on the word of God. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you some homework. Read Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 2 before next Sunday. We're going to send reminders. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you're on Facebook, just look at Harvest Time Church. We got it on Instagram. We're going, to, you know, we're going to try to put it on all of those social media platforms to remind you to read those. We're also going to kind of push out some uh, study questions, some more follows based on this last Sunday. Then we're going to come back next Sunday and do the same thing. Amen? Be a doer of the word. All right, let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for each one here this morning. Father, that you are giving us the grace and the ability to do all that you've asked us to do. Lord, I thank you for the promise that he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. And Father, I believe that those who are full of the spirit of God, we're without excuse because you've given us more than enough to do and be all that you've called us to be. Father, I pray that as we read your word this week, that we would just have understanding, that we would know what it's saying, what it's asking us to do. And Father, that once we have that instruction and we understand what we're supposed to be doing, then we would be bold and courageous and we would do it. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for this week that, uh, Father, you are going to strengthen marriages. Father, I just pray for grace to be quick to forgive. Father, if there is anything that is violating or causing that separation of oneness, Father, I ask that it be removed in Jesus' name. That we would be couples that stand together. And Father, that also the mayor over the family unit, Father, there would be peace and there would be unity and there would be oneness. And Father, it would be great impact to our family and our families, but also to the world around us. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your plans. And I, Lord, I thank you um, that, which, that those things that which you call us to, you also enable us to walk out. So I pray for special grace over all your people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.